0: Welcome to Pablo Torre Finds Out. I am Pablo Torre, and today we're going to find out
1: what this sound is. Here's my pitch on Irvin's tweet post-meeting the aliens. <laughs> okay? Met with the aliens, period. They are not what I expected, exclamation mark. <laughs> right after this ad.
0: You're listening to DraftKings Network. Cortez every so often on this show we turn into a detective agency. In what way? We have a number 51385 Pablo. People call that number with their with their mysteries they want us to solve and Shout we solve the f*** out of those mysteries.
3: I know, I know. Shout out to these people for the mailbag. I appreciate it's all the It's not a calls. mailbag, it's They're a detective agency.
0: It. Again, we, we're not doing this stupid mailbag thing that every show does. I believe that what we're going to do here with this voicemail will prove that we're not just any show. If we can play that first non-mailbag voicemail.
4: Hey, Pablo, I saw your name in the headline of a New York Post article. It says, Larsa Pippin and
5: Marcus Jordan trash quote, miserable, end quote, Pablo Torre over
4: podcast interview. So now that you officially have a feud with the Pippins and the Jordans, I need to hear your response. Please and thanks. Bye.
0: I'm going to have to wear this because we taped an episode of our podcast in which we interviewed Marcus Jordan and Larsa Pippen about their love.
3: Yeah, watch um, that one so you don't have to listen to their god-awful podcast.
0: Well, now we got to listen to their god-awful podcast as an excerpt because they, of course, actually said the things that that caller was alleging.
5: You know, we did a podcast yeah, a week po- ago.
6: We did Pablo Torre's podcast in, uh
4: they talked a lot of. Shit they about talked
6: us a before lot our- of shit, you know, and I'm, it, you know, I wasn't too familiar with the format of his show. Um, maybe that's on us not doing our research or whatever. But uh, yeah, I feel like the first half segment of the show was talking crazy, and so yeah. you know, it's just funny because then when we did our interview, they didn't really keep that same energy. You know, I felt like, you know, obviously <laughs> they were, um, they had listened to the podcast, they were familiar with it, but they, our interview was very. Fluffy. it
5: was very one-sided. It was very fluffy.
6: And I feel like their commentary that aired before our interview was, you know, was pretty biased. It was a hit piece, by the way. It was a little bit of a hit piece. And now, (laughs) actually, having watched it back, I wish that that producer, you know, there was some off—I can't remember the dude's name— I just wish he was there because I feel like the, our interview would have taken a different tone and we would have been able to clap back a little bit. You know what I'm saying?
5: It's funny because I feel like the people that have so much to say are so miserable in their real lives. If we exactly. took five seconds to research them, which I would never even do because they're not worth our time. Right. You'd really
4: realize <laughs> these people are a bunch of losers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was a man. hit piece. A hit piece. What a great line. They didn't remember that you, Ryan Cortez. They know my name. F- out of here. That, that. <laughs> Come on. I I am just bummed that I, I I thought we had bonded with them. That's how you left the interview. That you thought yeah, you guys were I was friends. Like, I, I, I was like I we we I might be at this wedding. <laughs> like I was hoping for a follow up episode where we're at the wedding, listening to Michael Jordan give the best man's toast. Clap back, Pablo. Speaking of miserable assholes, <laughs> what's next? Hey,
4: Pablo. Um. So I ate some really yummy Thai food last night, but it was so spicy. And this morning I had the spiciest of my life and I just like don't feel good. It's like I'm walking home from work, just felt gross all day. Um, and it had me thinking about David Sampson. And I'm just wondering if you could find out if you have any strategies for like mitigating the impact of a spicy shit and also find out if his butthole is okay. Thanks.
0: Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that I love that we are a safe space for listeners of all genders. What a great call. To confess how miserable their actual actually is. Yeah.
3: I also have had the same question about how that's gone for him.
0: So we had David Samson on for an episode about how he lost smell and taste due to COVID and how he, <laughs> he truly, because we did the hot ones like hot sauce challenge and he tasted hot sauces that were draped his wings in hot sauces that were like a zillion Scoville units or whatever it is, um, and was totally unaffected, allegedly. Well, I text him now, uh, and, and in the present tense, he reports this. Quote, when it comes to hoop burn, use your imagination, um, my days are spent not with prevention but treatment. I thought I was in the clear after the hot sauce challenge with Sean Evans, host of Hot Ones. 72 hours later, things <laughs> went horribly wrong. So I have two letters for you, A and D. I believe that's like an ointment that you put on like baby uh, butts. And he says, unfortunately, my loss of, of taste and smell did not come with a concomitant loss of anal nerves. Um, but the juice is worth the squeeze. So um, to translate it, Please. Um, quote, my hole is on fire.
3: Well, so here's the thing. I am not surprised because I believe David Sampson to be somewhat of a liar. Uh, and I will tell you why. Juan Galindo, our great, one of our great video editors, yeah. was telling me that he noticed out of the corner of his eye that after all of this took place in our studio, that David Sampson retreated to the back where, like, you could get milk and water and so forth. And he, David was alone, and Juan just saw him and was, like, noticing how David looked like he was in so much pain. And he was, like, trying to hide it, and he was sweating.
0: So you are accusing David Sampson of fabricating the entire premise yes. of this episode, which is that actually he feels everything. He's just doing this for attention. Ugh, you put me in a tough spot because you're, that is you're, that is the that, that David Sampson uh-huh. is Larsa Pippen.
3: <sighs> they both could use, like, you know, some help. <laughs> <laughs> Next voicemail. Uh, what's up, Pablo? Uh, this is
2: Jack calling from uh, Venice, California. I have a college mascot question for you. I know there's a long, sordid history of indigenous mascots. Some are, like, the flagrant example of, like, the Chief, Chief Wahoo and... The uh, Washington football team,
3: I won't name, but we'd love your explanation on what the hell an Oklahoma Sooner is. Uh, it's given real killer of the flower moon energy to me, but we'd love your take. Let me know if I'm on the right track with uh, it being particularly bad or maybe it's harmless.
0: Mm. So he's asking us to tell him whether or not this is a problematic mascot and where this mascot even comes from. Something we need to know about all mascots. It's honestly helpful for me to know this. I did not know this. We reached out to uh, David Gran, author of Killers of the Flower Moon. I read that. One of the great nonfiction writers on the planet. Yeah, from the New Yorker. Who wrote the book, Mm. yes, of the New Yorker. Who wrote the book that got turned into the Scorsese movie. And he gave us this.
2: It turns out that the term uh, dates back to the land runs of the late 19th century in what was then Indian Territory and is now part of the state of Oklahoma. The U.S. government had a long policy of trying to drive Native Americans off their lands and open up these prairies and territories to white settlers. And so it had arranged to have these races. They were these mad dashes for lands where at the sound of a gun, settlers would gather, and at that sound, they would race down, and if they got to a parcel of land first and put in their stake, they would lay claim to it. During the land run of 1893, um, thousands, tens of thousands of settlers gathered waiting uh, for the start of the gun. And the term sooner came from those who tried to sneak across the line early. So I didn't know
0: any of that. The idea that, okay, it's not that the nickname itself is, like, problematic, but the people it describes apparently are these people who were these settlers that were treating, like, Native American land like it was a Walmart on Black Friday. Also, it's pretty amazing that, like, this
3: amazing author from The New Yorker and all these books is, like, wasting his time answering our questions. I do love that. It's
0: amazing. I love that David (laughs) Gran answered (laughs) our mascot question. Yes, thank you. Um, But speaking of people desperately trying to be first— What's next?
4: Yo, Pablo, Billy from Brooklyn. I saw on Twitter, X, that Woes blocked you? What the hell could you have done to deserve that? Why
0: is it about what I must have done? You probably did something. Let's be I, 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 I want to be clear about this whole entire thing. I'm not here to be as messy as the top of the show indicates, actually. I'm not realizing how much I am, apparently, this controversial character. How'd you discover you were blocked? So, the morning of the Harden trade... I get all these texts, and I'm like, what the f*** happened? And I go, of course, to the NBA's biggest newsbreaker, and I find out that the man who broke the heart trade had blocked me. Shams blocked you? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you set me up for that. Um, wow, so Woj blocked Woj blocked me, me, which is strange because I am, of course, his former full-time colleague, now part-time colleague at ESPN. And so I don't know what I did. I was surprised to learn and my only theory is that because I work for Metal Lark mm-hmm. and I work with you, me, that the me. Miami Heat propagandists have put a stain on my good name.
3: You might be right in terms of me being to blame for this because I have my own story with Woj in the past on Twitter. What it what, would what, what what I do with a lot what of people? What did you do? So I had been following Woj for many years, as most people do. And I noticed one day I got a notification that said Adrian Wojnarowski followed you back. And I said, "Oh, I made yes, it." Yeah, he used to
0: follow me as yeah. well. Yeah,
3: I was like proud and showing people, "Yo, know, Woj follows me now." And like two days later, I noticed Wo followed me, and that pissed me off. So you unfollowed you had the nerve to go to my pro. You were that busy. You're the busiest man in news breaking, and you hate my profile so much that you had to unfollow me. So
0: he blocked you. Yeah. He unfollowed me. Yeah. At least I'm not blocked. Yeah.
3: So he really doesn't like. I, our I, show. I got. I, I
0: have breaking news for you. Uh-huh. You undoubtedly just got blocked. <laughs> I love our callers, man. They're the best. They're the best. They leave voicemails that sometimes just sync perfectly with the shit that I'm already, like, wanting to investigate. We can't say it enough. 513-85-Pablo. That's right. Call us, and we may uh, we may play your voicemail right. like we are right now. Hey, Pablo. This is
4: Butterfly Jones calling from beautiful Key West, Florida. Uh, Long-time listener, first-time caller. And I was hoping you could find out who writes the beautiful... The incredible tweets by Magic Johnson. They are so amazingly earnest, but they read like uh, GPT negative 3.5 combined with the enthusiasm of my great Aunt Patty. They are spectacular, and I want to know who's behind them. Thanks, Baba. There's
3: nobody in the Twitter sphere who I'd want to know more who's behind that account than Magic Johnson. Yes. Number one for me.
0: It's an active mystery. And so, of course, we had to get to Magic Johnson, which is, it turns out, kind of difficult.
3: But you remember you've met him before, right? Like I, I mean, was, I, I was there
0: for that. I've interviewed him at Sports Illustrated uh, no, a couple no, no, no. times, actually. No,
3: I know you're a journalist. Thank you for reminding that. I know you. In, I know back um, in the day you, you did uh, reported journalism.
0: stories, right? Quoting him.
3: Back when you and I did High Noon on ESPN at the Seaport office at ESPN, there was a day, if you remember, I believe it's 2019. I don't think
0: it's that helpful to relive this.
3: No, it is. It is, dude. Magic Johnson came to the office, and it was embarrassing what you did.
6: <laughs> this time so y'all y'all shoot here too? Yeah. yeah, Okay. So you had to move both of you, cause you were in. North I, was Carolina. My, I was in North Carolina, I in Miami. Yeah.
4: So congrats, man. we
0: are trying to be like you, man. You're the best TV star in this building today. Yeah, TV star,
4: <laughs> a businessman now, just business. You got the suit of a businessman.
0: <laughs>
6: well, you know, I gotta run my business. Matter of fact, I'm running to a meeting after this. Absolutely, Amen. man. All right, God bless you.
4: Hey, yes, take care.
0: Cool. I am cringing. So hard that I'm like becoming smaller.
3: So, some background: I, I'm filming that obviously, and the reason that it's clipped off in that manner, sort of abruptly, is I was furiously trying to get my phone out because you're sprinting to hop over a couch to go say hello to Magic Johnson. The video picks up with the first words of you saying to him after having climbed the couch to dap him. We can see eye to eye, as if you're like marveling at the, yes, dude, you stepped on a couch. Of course, you can I see eye to-
0: stood on a couch like. Tom Cruise being interviewed by Oprah. Are you embarrassed? Of course. I mean, okay. uh, the, the visuals on this are great, admittedly. Like, there's a the the dap I delivered. Um, was it worth it? You got the clout of like, hey, I dapped him up. Yeah, but it was it's, it's, it's not worth it's, it. It's, there's like a leg kick. I like sort of like wound up because I cared about the dap so much right. that I kicked my leg out like a pitcher. So, what's sad now, even sadder now to me, is that despite that clear connection that me and Magic made (laughs) from atop that couch, um, when I reached out to Magic Johnson's people, because, of course, he's a businessman with many people, to go to the front door on this topic, uh, we were told the following, okay? Quote, thank you for reaching out. Unfortunately, Mr. Johnson respectfully declines to participate He is elected not to discuss the the behind-the-scenes of his social strategy. (laughs) End quote. That was from the vice president of Magic Johnson Enterprises, Alexia Grievous Henderson. But I was energized. And so what I did was I I reached out to a different Hollywood power broker, Mm -hmm. um, an actor in this case, that I know has also been obsessed with this now official mystery, by the way. What do they have to hide? And so yeah, I I I called up Rob Lowe. Oh. And so Rob Lowe, what was the first
1: memory you have of meeting Magic Johnson? You know, we we met because we were both basically the same age from the Midwest. He's from Michigan, I'm from Ohio. Um we're in Los Angeles, we're young, we're having success, and we're on each other's radar and so that was the obviously the initial um um, commonality. and th- But then over the years, you know, I-, I got to know him as a man. And um, it-, it was really through amount of time spent in and around the Lakers and the Laker organization, traveling on the road, on the team plane. Uh, you know, Riley, you know, at one point banned me from staying in the same hotel <laughs> because...
0: Wh- wait, why? Why were you banned by Pat Riley...
1: Well, because it was the '80s and I was single, <laughs> and uh, you were a bad
0: influence, Rob Lowe. That's why you were bad.
1: I was a very bad influence on the Lakers. I mean, well, Lakers love me, Riley, not so much. <laughs> and it was during those. Year, it was during the format where it was like two, three, two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'd be in Detroit forever. Three, three games in Detroit. You're like there's not a lot to do out by the Pontiac Silverdome. (laughs) So, you know, you can do the math. And uh, Riley was not a fan of that. No, no, understandably.
0: Magic Johnson, by the way, was just named one of the four um, current or former athletes to ever become a billionaire, right? So Mm. it's him, LeBron, Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods. That was this week. Mm -hmm. Um, but, But inside of that larger context is this ongoing fascination that many people have around... His Twitter account, yes, and I think you know this. Um, you've been on Pardon My Take talking to them about it, um, but you're like the foremost source. You have advanced <laughs> the ball more than any other human being on the question of like what is up with Magic Johnson's Twitter account, and you take pride in this. I imagine at this point you're
1: laughing at me asking this. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I have I have it on very good authority, yes, that he dictates it. He has somebody who, he, you know, whatever occurs to him. And with the emphasis on whatever occurs to him, it's the best. I mean, that's what t- Twitter was made for him. Made. Exactly. But I'll ask, I'll ask Magic next time I see him. I'm going to say the world wants to know. Yes. Are you sit- seated in a big smoking chair? <laughs> are, are you doing it in a walk and talk? Is there a fleet? Because you're a billionaire now. So I'm assuming it's a fleet of people, not just one person, who's who's instantly, you know, putting it in on their phone. And if it's on their phone, how does that get on your Twitter? Like, the world needs to know. Yes. I imagine like a nuclear football
0: level of chain of custody here.
1: My favorite is always like, we've got to do better when the Lakers are getting blown out. You know what I mean? You're like, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. His
0: catchphrases are stuff like, quote, tonight we learned the world champion Denver Nuggets are going to be very tough to beat in the NBA playoffs, period. Quote, we're all disappointed that our Dodgers didn't hit or pitch well. That's why we lost the series to the Diamondbacks. Exclamation point. Which is, and the exclamation points, Rob, are are notable. Because for him, on the Magic Johnson emotional curve, that thing is Martin Luther nailing the 95
1: DCs to the door. When I was on the West Wing, mm. Aaron Sorkin will not use an exclamation point ever. Oh wow! It, it could literally—he could in the script. It could say, "President Bartlet is shot." No exclamation point. No, he does not believe in them. <laughs> His theory with exclamation points is yes. that it's the it's the hackiest, sweatiest thing that you can do to make the something sound exciting that. Probably isn't. I happen to disagree with it. I think I think an exclamation point. There's there there's absolutely a place to. They're overused for sure. But I don't go the other way where it's like you don't use them. I mean, to me, that's a bridge too far. On the
0: scale of of writing sensibility, on one end is Magic Johnson.
1: On the other <laughs> end is Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> and you're not going to confuse their Twitter accounts. You're just not going to. Yes. By the way, are they preloaded? Right. Listen, listen, there's a world where what was preloaded wasn't... Give me the quote about about why the Dodgers lost it. Give it to me again. We're all disappointed that our Dodgers didn't hit or pitch
0: well. That's why we lost the series to the Diamondbacks, exclamation point.
1: Okay, so that's preloaded. Also preloaded is, how about that Dodger pitching and hitting? And that is why we swept (laughs) the Diamondbacks. (laughs) So
0: you you have the potential world in which Magic Johnson is a man for all seasons and outcomes. He is ready with a Magic Johnsonism, no matter the
1: event and its and its results. Of course, he is. That's why he's a billionaire. <laughs> of course, he's ready for every eventuality. It's like abstract art. It really is. It's where you go. I'm pretty sure my kindergartner could have painted that, <laughs> and yet your kindergartner didn't paint it. No, no, no. Jackson Pollock painted this. Jackson Pollock painted it. He's no kindergartner. And you know what else is a little bit in there? And this is, we have a mutual friend, Alan Yang, who wrote on the show that I did, Parks and Recreation. Yep. And one of my favorite characters on Parks and Recreation has a little bit of Irvin's Twitter in him, and that is Perd Happily. Yes. Oh, my God. Dude, I had never f- connected this, but... Y- 100 million 100%? percent. <laughs> Magic's Twitter account has a little bit of Perd Happley in it.
4: For a female perspective on this scandal, we turn to a woman. Leslie, no. I'm about to ask you a question right now, and that question is this The lewd photo, just how big a deal is it? Well, frankly, Perd, it's not that big a deal, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you mean, but it had the cadence of a joke. I'm Irvin Johnson, and I love to play basketball. It's hard work, but it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of things. But when the ball goes through that net, the team gets two points. Is
0: there a person who is better at being rich than Magic Johnson? Oh. And I see Elon Musk as, of course, fantastically accomplished, wildly wealthy, uh, real life Tony Stark, all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. On top of the culture war. Shit. Yeah, but the point being, I watch him on Twitter and I'm like, "Oh, that's a man whose brain has been eaten by the Internet." It seems like he is doing Twitter, the product he bought for 44 billion dollars incorrectly. And then, in contrast, again, on this scale of extremes, I see Magic Johnson,
1: and I'm like, "That guy seems happy. He is happy." For sure. One of the things I love so much about Irvin/Magic is their outlook on life. And, and, and it's not a pose. It's not, it's not an image. It really is, you know, who he is. And that that sort of like guileless, um, enthusiastic, straightforward, no bullshit, um, and I don't want to say childlike because that has a, a a connection that it's somehow unsophisticated or not smart. And I'm not saying that. But there is a purity, though. A purity. Yeah, it, it's a purity about it. And uh, you know, you read LeBron James's thing, and, and you get he's always trying to be Nelson Mandela, right? And and, right. and 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 Magic slash Irving is just being himself. This
0: is maybe the thing about his Twitter account is that. It's so authentically his voice that you wonder like is it is it just a performance because it's so consistent. And then you're like, well, why am I
1: why am I being cynical about this? It's a gift, just accept the gift. <laughs> just accept the gift. It's it's one of the ju- few ju- By the way, it might be the only joy <laughs> left on Twitter. Absolutely,
0: Rob. Absolutely. The only joy I have left is Magic Johnson on July 17th of this summer posting on Twitter, quote, Positano, Italy is so beautiful and they grow the biggest lemons I've ever seen in my
1: life, exclamation point. It just puts a smile on your face.
0: We're both grinning in a very sincere way because... Without even showing you the tweet, you know that Magic Johnson, in both hands, is double-fisting
1: giant Italian lemons. Giant. (laughs) And they're so big. (laughs) Giant lemons.
0: There's the question of, like, when the aliens come, who do we want to nominate as our, like, gladiator on behalf of Earth? And People are always like, it's clearly LeBron James. And I'm like, if we want to— Who? Who, Who's
1: nominating him?
0: Who? Wait, uh, What? the greatest physical specimen that Earth has to oh, offer I see. in okay. competition. Because we assume, okay. this is the thing, Rob. All right, all right, this is the right, thing. Right. But people assume that we're going to want to go to war with the aliens. Mm. And meanwhile, what you and I are on the same wavelength about, I think, is that if we want to, like, diplomatically figure some stuff out, I want Irvin Magic
1: Johnson with two giant lemons approaching. Here's my pitch on Irvin's tweet post- meeting the aliens. <laughs> okay? Met with the aliens, period. <laughs> they are not what I expected, exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's it. You f- nailed it. Isn't that it? I can't improve on that. And, 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 and there would be a photo of Magic Johnson grinning ear to
1: ear Hand over shoulder with a f-ing alien. With a gray, with like a, the, <laughs> the gray can barely be in the photo because the grays are like two and a half feet tall. <laughs> you should do it. I'm sure you must do a parlor game, parlor trick game where you have three two, you have three quotes and one, two of them are fake Magic Johnson and one of them's real. You have to do that. I'm sure. <laughs> Ab-
0: absolutely. We're going to find some Purgit Happily best ofs and we're going to, that's, I mean, that could be the game. Which Honestly, was Purt Magic, Magic Johnson.
1: I mean, that's oh, a Oh, that's really good. Okay, let's do this. Let's get Shur Yang, you and me, on the pod like this and yes. play it. <laughs> <laughs> Done. I'm in. Rob Lowe, on that note, all I have to <laughs> say to
0: you is, in the words of Magic Johnson, thank you, exclamation <laughs> point. Thanks, man. That was fun. I knew the name Rob Lowe going
3: into the video. But like, Cortez. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know who he was. I'm young. What do you want me to do? Please tell me
0: you appreciated what just happened there.
3: I got lost watching it because there was a moment where I said, oh, I know who that is. I recognized him. Uh, the West Way. No, 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 no. Parks no. and Rec. No, Parks The Rec Outsiders. Sucks. Great movie. No. Austin Powers, bro. The <laughs> eye patch. I remember him. <laughs> young number two.
0: I just want uh, our new friend of the show, Rob Lowe, to to know that I understand his oeuvre, even though Ryan Cortez, by the way, you also like discovered rock and roll as a concept Shout uh, out to over the pandemic. <laughs> Nirvana, bro. <laughs> um, so this is all is, is, is this is this is a love language, Cortez. Sure. Um but I, I did also want to be fair to to any skeptics out there who wanted like the actual answer to the question our 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 great listener left, right? Because We know now that it's Magic Johnson dictating the tweets. We know it's his voice, incontrovertibly. But in terms of the person who is physically writing them, who is writing this account, um, there was even more digging that I had to do. Okay, what'd you find out? So... They wanted to keep all of this a secret, obviously, the social media strategy. But I did all of these. I, I truly, like, investigated this. I did all of these interviews on background. I got to somebody who was in the room, actually, while it was happening. Magic Johnson wow. with this mystery person posting to the account. And what I was told, okay, the person who physically posts for Magic Johnson was none other than Alexia Grievous-Henderson. Herself. That, that's the name from the email, right? That is the person oh my who God. emailed oh. us. Oh my God. Saying that they elect not to discuss the social media strategy is the person behind the social media strategy.
3: I just, I'm proud of you, man. Like, that's that's actual journalism. You did it again. Good reporting by you.
0: We got to the bottom of, of just, yeah, the greatest rich person's uh, she Twitter get a raise, account. Should raise, you think? Uh... You know, if she wants to maybe help uh, put me in touch with Magic so I can dap him up on, like, sea level, uh, maybe we can, can, yeah, work out a recommendation, a public endorsement from Pablo Torre finds out.
6: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile.
0: Cortez, it's obvious to everybody that we are the smart show at Metal Media, dude. I mean, there was a time we look had- who's in the chair. Okay, guy, I mean, okay, I didn't want to say it, but now I'll say it. <laughs> there was a time we
3: had Action Bronson on, and he was talking about shitting into a warm toilet, how it emptied out his whole bowel system,
0: <laughs> as well as Jesus telling us that um, the poop in a crack house reminded him of creme brulee. Okay, the There's smartest like a, show at Metal a, 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 a little little crust on the top. Um, <laughs> You're right. But I do want to get to an objectively smart voicemail about an objectively smart topic, if we could.
5: Pablo, got a good idea for you. We need to find out who of the Wu-Tang Clan is the best chess player. I've read a number of articles over the years that they played chess together when they were recording the 36 Chambers. Riza and Jizza seem to be the most open about their chess playing experiences. And Jizza said he played 78 hours straight against Master Killer. So, who's the best? You need to find out who of the Wu Tang is the best chess player.
3: Now, I've heard of a lot of those people, obviously. Shout out to Nirvana. You know, I discovered rock
0: music. That's the way, musical well, uh, <laughs> knowledge is not the best. This is, I like how the through line of this episode is Ryan Cortez finds out what music is. It's amazing. Proceed. By the way. Yes.
3: Uh, so I just wanted to know, who all is in the Wu-Tang Clan?
0: Okay, so th- this is a hard question for even, like, the most wu tangologists ologists really? to okay. answer. Because, again, okay, I just want to re this for everybody, right? There are lots of people in the Wu-Tang Clan. Um, they're, according to several ac- actual music critics, one of the greatest just groups ever, let alone rap groups, based in Staten Island. And they f- love chess. And if I have any credibility with the Wu-Tang Clan, it's because they get the vibe of, of, you know, people who maybe like, yeah, like to do some nerdy things sometimes. And so they have songs about chess, they play chess, and there are lots of possible answers here to answer your question as to who the best chess player might be. Because there is Method Man, there's Old Dirty Bastard, there is Raekwon, there is Ghostface, there is Mastakilla, there is Capadonna, You god um, Inspected Deck, RZA, Jizza. There are lots of candidates.
3: Inspector Deck, that's a good name.
0: It's a great name. Interesting. Um, and so, what we did was we reached out to our reporting intern to get to the bottom of this story, uh, Dan Lebitard. I've heard of him. To get a comment from Method Man himself.
6: Hey, Dan, what's up? Shit. It never ends, right? You see my hat? Yeah. King's in New York right now, you know? Uh, I'm just thinking, what if... Ann Rogers
0: never got hurt. And this was mostly just Method Man giving us Jets takes. Is um, that Gots or Method Man? I know. Man? Like, he's wearing we a watch? Jets hat. He's like lying down on like a floor somewhere. Um, but he did follow up, thankfully, with a text message where he put three names, three names on the medal stand of best chess player in the Wu-Tang Clan. Okay. He mentioned Master Mastakilla. He mentioned Ghostface. And he mentioned Jizza. Mm. And that also obviously was not enough for my journalistic tastes. And so we called up the first name that he mentioned. So this is an honor for me. I need to Thank tell you, you that. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Thank um,
0: you. I'm a fan and also a journalist with a question. Do I call you Killa? What, 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 what should I, Pablo Torre, say um, to you as a, as a way of like uh, addressing you? What do you prefer? Call me Jamal.
4: <laughs> That's easier. Master Kill master killer is what I do.
0: Jamel, I, I got some intel. Um, and I should say that our source is is, is your colleague, Method Man, who power-ranked the three greatest chess players in the Wu-Tang Clan. And the medal stand, in no particular order, is you, Ghostface, and Jizza. Does that sound right? What's you, what's, what's your scouting report?
4: <laughs> well, if he said I was number one, that's that's correct. <laughs> he didn't provide an <laughs> order, but I'm open to your order. This is why I'm calling you up. I'll be honest and say, you know, the number one slot could go between me, Tessa, and Riza at any given time. What's
0: crazy about this to me is that there's actually like plausible cases for so many of you guys. Like, I don't know if you know this, but I just saw an article out of, like, Arizona uh, recently where, like, Cappadonna was, like, working some sort of, like, chess tournament for kids. Like, he showed up there. And I was Capadonna? like... Donna Am I breaking wow. news to you about this?
4: That's definitely news to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we all play chess in our own ways, you know, because, you know, it's definitely, um, I would say, affiliated with, with life. You know what I mean? It teaches you so many lessons. That's what drew me to the game in itself. Just the patience. The patience that you learn. And and how often did
0: you guys play against each other? I'm asking you to rank. Every day. Every day.
4: Every day. Me and Jizza played 72 games one day. I'm sorry. 72 consecutive in one day. 72... We started like that morning and we ended late at night. I mean, we took breaks and we ate and we, you know, listened to music or whatever. But the whole day, we just played chess all day. I mean, we had so many days like that. But that particular day, we played like 72 straight. We counted it, 72. (laughs) Yeah, we love it, man. What was the
0: the win-loss record for you, Mastakilla, playing Jizza <laughs> 72
4: games consecutively in one day? Oh man, I can't remember the win-loss, but more likely I was on top, you know? What's
0: <laughs> <laughs> your what's your um scouting report, right? So I want a self-scouting report of Mastakilla by Mastakilla on how he plays chess versus the other members of, of the Wu Tang clan.
4: How what distinguishes your game? I'm just a little natural with it, you know? Some, some of my brothers, you know, they study books, which you should. I mean, knowledge is infinite. So you can never stop learning. There's always room for improvement. There's always room to learn. You know, some of my brothers, they study different chess masters. I'm just a natural. I absorb and adapt to my opponent, you know? And I like to just stay free like that. I don't like to box myself into any... You know certain openings, or you know, I just like to be free
0: with it. I'm I'm hearing you say, in between the lines, that you're unpredictable. Some of your nerd friends in the Wu Tang Clan are more <laughs> predictable. That's what I got from what your scouting report. Just said. <laughs> I think we're all nerds. I get the sense, reading between the lines here again, that you like the psychological warfare of an in-person chess game.
4: Yeah, I I, I love it, man. Like I said, you know. Nothing like moving the pieces. You know, nothing like hitting the clock, you know, right here. Nothing like a little smack talk right there in your face. (laughs) You know, it's nothing like that. It's nothing like the thrill of that, you know? Muhammad Ali won a lot of his fights before he even entered the ring, you know? Mike Tyson had you intimidated before you even entered the ring, you know? So I kind of took a little bit of their strategies and... um, you know, if I can shake people for you, you getting those 64 squares, hey, half the battle is won. Have there
0: been great rap songs, lyrics about chess? Whether, I don't know if you've written them, I don't know if you've performed them. What's the best example of
4: that? I'm sure that uh, a lot of artists have made some references to chess, you know, because I know more than just the Wu-Tang clan plays chess I I, I know that I think Jay-z plays over my years, I've seen took by the night for trying to defend the queen. Check me it moves.
0: wait a minute now though I'm realizing okay so I know Jay-Z plays chess too so if Correct. I'm telling you Master Killer in person versus Jay-z at the chess oh. board
4: oh Jay's going down Jay's going down Jay's going down it's either you give a lesson or you learn one. Mm. You know, There's no losses in chess. But that day, I'll be given a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> the patience of choice is the jewels of life. Think before you speak or move. And I think with that, you will be so much better off in life, in general, in so many situations, probably all situations.
0: Master Killer, the the best chess player officially in the Wu Tang Clan, and I would say um, the king of all rappers when it comes to chess. Thank you for joining. Pablo Torre finds out.
4: I appreciate you. Thank you for having me, brother.
3: Bro, the vibe of that guy pretty incredible when you like juxtapose what his name is killer
0: it, it doesn't is. really seem like the type of guy that's going to murder you. He's a great well, he's a great hang, and it is to your point. um a bit ironic that Mastiquilla preaches patience mm-hmm. and prudence more than a a guy named Parakeet Cortez. that feels hmm. uh, a bit of a switch. What do you
3: think I do on Twitter that's different?
0: I know that you preach the opposite. Mm. I do want to get out of this topic, though, as we anoint Mastakilla as, of course, the gold medalist in the Pablo Torre finds out chess tournament among all rappers um, by reminding you, Cortez, what Mastakilla does actually rap about on the way out of this segment. I'd like to know. Hey!
4: Homicide's illegal and death is a penalty. What justifies the homicide when he dies in his own iniquity. It's the master of the mantis rapture coming at you.
0: All right, so Master Killer's vibe did inspire me some. Um, he wanted me to own my my nerddom, and so uh, let's get even nerdier at the end here, which okay. is a dangerous thing, of course. But what's next? Hey, Pablo.
4: What I'd like you to find out is where does human evolution stop? Are we just going to get a new Victor Weminyama every? 15 years where they
0: break all the, you know, anatomical molds, or is there's some sort of leveling out that will eventually have to happen before, uh, what's your phrase, bag of meat and bones, we all just fall apart and nothing works anymore. Love the show. Hope you use it. So, uh, thank you for, for loving the show. Um, but the word is meat sack. So we called up uh, for this story uh, my smartest science friend, Cortez. You know him, David Epstein. The best sports science writer in America. The man who wrote a bestseller. A bestselling book, Range, and also The Sports Gene. Those were his two bestsellers. What's funny about this one is that he pointed out that the answer to this listener's question is actually less about the genes of the next great athletic specimen than like, also access to sports itself.
5: Okay. I think we probably overestimate the portion of the global population that has real access to any reasonable opportunity to do sports. Like Pablo, I think I mentioned to you that at the recent world championships in track and field, a guy from Botswana won a medal in the 100 meters. That was the first African man to win a medal in the 100 meters in the world championships. Wow, the first.
0: I would have, I would have taken the over.
5: Right, whereas many people of recent African ancestry have won many, many medals in the hundred meters. Yes, of in course, the world championships, and I think that just goes to show that like most people in the world don't have real access to this kind of stuff to training. To, you know, we to,
0: overestimate the idea that the people who could compete are already competing. Yeah,
5: so I think there's tons of you know hidden or undeveloped talent out there. Like more people as sports get more competitive, more people are selected out either because of their genes or because of their opportunities and training environment and stuff like that. So I think there's a lot of the world still, um, you know, still a lot of talent to explore. A lot of the increase in height um, over generations has been nutrition and decreased childhood infection, things that stunt height. But some of it has also been... um, you know, assortive mating, people, taller people uh, having kids with taller people. And if you look at this research, even people who have higher VO2 max, which is their ability to, to you know, move oxygen through their body to get it to their muscles, it, it's a predictor of endurance, tend to have kids with other people who have higher <laughs> VO2 max, right? So there may be a lot of this so-called assortive mating, which is people procreating based on characteristics that are similar, whether they think about them or not, that I I certainly think could could have an impact. I still think though that there's a lot of ground left to be had in more more again so-called freaks in just like giving access and opportunity to a, a lot of the world that doesn't have it.
0: Right. So in other words, Victor Wembanyama's, which is to say guys who are increasingly extreme, tall, long, thin in ways that would be truly like as if uh, I don't know, Bob Cousy were to encounter an alien. Um more guys like that you can see arriving, but simply because they're already out there and now they might have a more comfortable uh, fit on an NBA team.
5: You know, and and maybe pro like NBA and WNBA players having kids like, you know, two people who are seven feet tall. Yeah. Have a kid, it's still unlikely that that kid is going to be seven feet tall because that's so extreme. But it's way more likely than just random chance that they're going to be seven feet tall. So I do think that, uh, you know, athletes having kids could could have some some impact.
0: I got a very clear message from you, which is that Victor Mbanyama, uh better have a lot of sex.
5: <laughs> I mean, look, if there were a thing, if if it were like you were treating it like a horse, right? Like certain people's breeding rights would be, go for a lot. Oh of man, money. Dude, dude, his semen would be
0: so expensive. What you just said,
3: ridiculous though it is is humbling to me as someone under six feet Mm. compared to Victor Wiminyama. Because I'm like my semen. I didn't want to say it. Is it not going to be worth as much as Victor Wiminyama? Because that seems unfair. I have a great Twitter account.
0: Cortez, um, what you found out today is that your semen is mid.
3: No! That's just one man's
0: opinion. I mean, it's science's opinion. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying that mine is like, you know, premium grade... You and I are just height-wise. Well, hold on. My boat is definitely taller than your boat. I mean, it's marginally taller. I mean, relative to Victor Mbanyama, fair. But, but, but um, speaking of 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 climax, <laughs> um David also did point out something interesting, which is that we've probably climaxed as a species in terms of height. Like Victor Mbanyama, you know, seven foot four and and rising, um, architecturally, athletically, we're probably not gonna do taller than him not much taller even though there have been like exceptions um it feels like as much as we can push it unless he's standing on a couch you mean i'm just saying i mean that's a unless way he's standing it. on a couch or you know um trying to f a a all-star okay which i'm also in favor of by uh-huh. the way there's in that case only one way to find out for the gene pool exactly uh-huh. um what's next pablo
4: you need to find out where cotton ball man is now what happened with him You have to find out where he is now. Find out, Pablo. So this is
0: an appropriately desperate plea. Because we did this episode, one of my favorite episodes. I love all our episodes, like they're my kids. But this one, our interview with Maury Povich, was special. And it was special because we watched Maury with Maury... And Cortez, my favorite clip from that whole thing was the clip of uh, one of the phobia episodes that Maury Povich would do. And these were iconic. And this one in specific, um, and this is a genre where people who are terrified of confront that shit, uh, in studio in person. And this woman, Emily, had a very clear phobia, which was cotton balls.
3: You know what I'm gonna ask you. You know why we're here. Yes. Did you do your job? Did you find this guy?
0: I am pleased to tell America that we've located Cotton Ball Man. We got him.
2: I have done things with cotton that nobody's done. I uh, and that's dawn uh, uh, you know uh, an entire suit made of cotton. You no, know, you've got to confront
1: your phobia now. This is the famous Mari show
2: Cotton Ball Man. My name is Jimmy Shearman, and um, I've worked for The Maury Show for um, over 20 years. I was a driver, I was a travel assistant, I was an audience coordinator. Then eventually I became a field producer. The thought process uh, when approaching a role like Cotton Man, you, you have to keep in mind that Cotton Man is, an, is evil. He's a demonic, a demonic beast. He's there to kind of terrorize. So in approaching that role, you know, back in the day, I I used to do a lot of side acting for the show where I would be, uh, you know, a jealous spouse murdering his wife or whatever. I think I took some of that intensity from those roles and applied it to the, uh, the beast that is Cotton Man. And I remember getting the outfit And uh, it was basically like oven mitts with uh, cotton balls glued all over them. And uh, I think it was like a box cut with holes cut for the eyes and just cotton balls glued all over it. You're backstage. Okay, get out there. And you're just, you know, Frankenstein coming to, you know, Coming to wreak havoc on this person, this poor person, this poor unsuspecting person and, and uh, you know, basically reveal their biggest fear. Cottonball man. I followed her partially and I think someone stopped me possibly because, you know, there, there came a time where it was like, OK, the joke is too like we don't want to get too mean.
1: Bring her back
4: here. Emily, come here. There's nobody up here.
2: And if the person's really freaking out, like, let's just cut it. So I think security might have stopped me or something like that. (laughs) I don't think wearing the suit made me afraid of cotton. I still wear cotton. I I wear cotton shirts and uh, cotton underwear and just like everybody else. Um, Yeah, I don't think that it increased my fear of cotton or anything i don't have a fear of cotton um i don't like the way it feels sometimes being the cotton man i think i know cotton
0: (laughs) (laughs) wait wait. so wait can we can we just replay him saying what his name is for the record again just real quick my name is jimmy shearman Jimmy Shearman, Cortez. That's ironic. Do you see? I, I mean, it's more than ironic. There's a better word for it, actually. Um, Go ahead, right? It's it. aptronymic, Ap- an aptronym. Um, it's a name that's amusingly appropriate for the occupation of the person that has said name.
3: How did you know that? That's amazing. James
0: Jimmy Shearman. <laughs> right. Is Sheerman is Cotton Ball Man? I mean, I'm just glad that he gave a middle finger. To God, when he took this position. 513 85 Pablo, please, please call, call, send Ryan Cortez more musical suggestions so we can find out. I don't know who the Beethoven is. Shout out to Rage Against the Machine. God, none of this is a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Bro, rock music is amazing. I'm just saying, it's so good. You don't say. This has been Pablo Torre Finds Out, a Meadowlark Media production.
6: You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator.